in the Sandy Studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another soil-improving episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. The only way to really improve clay soil is with a backhoe, but sandy soil is a different story. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal how to turn sand into the perfect garden soil as we answer a listener's question from Australia. And of course, we'll take your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and humorously hectic hesitations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you harvesting water and a bumper crop of tomatoes right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tackle the issue of sandy soil for a podcast listener from Australia. Won't that be fun? Otherwise, we're taking that heap and helping of your fabulous phone calls. But first, we got to give away a book. For a while there, we were telling people to send in postcards, and we would pick postcards, and they would get a free book. The deadline for postcards is over. But we still got books to give away, and we got a pile of postcards to sort through. So actually, I should show you the postcard first. Uh, this just blew me away. Here, was that? You, you guys got it, right? Yeah. It's an oversized postcard, and it's from a fruit crate. Tabasco brand Louisiana Bartlett pears. So apparently, in Louisiana, even the pears have hot peppers in them. It is so funny. And this was sent to us from Tom O'Brien in New Orleans. Um, and he says, the only thing more fun than Tabasco sauce are the gardens at Avery Island here in New Orleans. Well, very clever card. And for Tom's very clever postcard, uh, he gets a copy of Square Foot Gardening by my dear friend, the late Mel Bartholomew. He's no longer with us, but his wisdom is. And this is probably the last book he published, answering frequent questions about Square Foot Gardening. And that's going to go to Tom in New Orleans, where pretty soon, or maybe it's happening already, um, it is time for Carnival. So... Uh, be safe and have fun, New Orleans kids. All right. Oh, and I also want to mention that I will be appearing at the Home and Garden Show in Morgantown, PA, on Saturday and Sunday, March 7th and 8th. Now, that's Morgantown, PA, just outside of Reading, cats and kittens. Don't go to Morgantown, West Virginia. Well, you can go if you want, but I will not be there. All right. Enough seriousness. On to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. David, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. 
Hi, Mike. How it's an you? honor to speak with the Garden Book of Knowledge. Oh, uh, were you expecting somebody else here? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Count on you. All right. Well, good luck to you there. All right. Where are you, man? I'm in Newark, Delaware. Right. See, one of the things I learned when I first started this show is Newark is in New Jersey. Newark is in Delaware. Yes, sir. All right. What can we do for David in New Ark? Well, sir, I live in a raised ranch or bi-level. Mm-hmm. And about 20, 25 years ago, we when we moved in, we had a nurseryman come out and plant a tree in front of our window because we're on the second floor in the living room. Mm-hmm. And it, I believe it's called a sourwood, and he said it would stay small and be good for out our window so we could have something to look at. Um, about Two years ago, we had a pileated woodpecker land on our tree. Oh, wait a minute, pileated. Now, pileated. Yes, oh, I'm sorry. So, did you? Did this is the rare, hardly ever seen woodpecker yes, that looks like Woody Woodpecker? Yes, sir. We were just thrilled. And he's the biggest woodpecker, I believe, in North America, even bigger than the red-breasted. I think so. You know, most people have never seen one. I know. We, we were just beside ourselves. It was so much fun to watch him for three weeks. But unfortunately, he girdled the two main trunks up at our window level. Ah, okay. And so it, he turned out, even though he was affiliated, to have the sapsucker habit. Yes, sir. Okay. So right now we've got a problem, I, I believe. I don't... I, I first, when I spoke to you earlier, I spoke about fungus, but I believe it's a, a mildew problem where about three inches and above and below it is turned black. Okay, so here's, here's what's going on for those who aren't aware. Uh, the yellow-bellied sapsucker is, which is a real bird, uh, is the woodpecker most notorious for this. But when the sap is running in the trees, they will hang on to the tree and they'll drill a little hole and they'll suck sap, and then they'll drill another little hole exactly to the right or left of it until they make a perfect circle around the tree, right? Yes, sir. So what's happening is, now, you can't say girdled here. Okay. Because girdled is the term used when a complete section of bark is missing from around the tree. And in most species, that's always fatal. But the little holes are really not that different than maples being tapped for syrup. So what's going on with you, I believe, is um, when the sap runs, there's nobody there to eat it anymore, and it comes out of the tree. And then I would say that if you got up really close, you would probably see aphids or ants feeding on that sap and then pooping their black frass, which is a $20 word for bug poop, which is also called honeydew. Um, but both creatures feed in such numbers that their frass gets tied up with the sap and it gives you these black streaks coming down the tree. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but... No, go there, ahead. Correct there is, me. There is no bark about a half inch wide around the tree. Oh, man. Well, I wonder, you know, because woodpeckers don't generally 
caused that extensive damage. Yeah. But um, and I'm I'm the window. It, the tree's two and a half feet from the window. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I totally believe you. And you know, I've only seen a pileated once. I'm not that familiar with their habits. So this happened two years ago. Yes. Do the parts uh, of the tree above the damage? Do they still leaf out? Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be okay. It's just, and when it when it's damp out like this morning on the small rain we had, it's very black. And where the others, there's two main branches at that point, mm -hmm. but the other side looks, the other branch looks perfectly fine. This one looked looked very black, and even now when it's dried up, there's still a black band that goes around the tree. Hmm. Okay. And um, you haven't gone up to inspect this or anything. No. Okay, well, you know, the tale is always told by the leafing out. Okay. If the tree continues to leaf out, it's healthy. Now, is, is the band black or is the whole branch trunk area black? The whole trunk is uh, above and below for about three to four inches. Okay. All right, I'm going to suggest something truly weird because obviously this looks like the dog's breakfast, right? I like weird. Okay. Do you, do you have a pressure washer? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, without any kind of soap, I would hit, um, start, you know, do a Martha Stewart thing. Start with the back of the tree where nobody's going to see it to make sure okay. you don't do any damage. Okay. But I would try to wash this soot, this honeydew, off. Okay. Just to improve the, um, the look of the tree. Clearly, if it's leafing out, there are no issues here. Okay. How close is the black band to the top of that split trunk? Uh, we've got another three, four feet. Okay. Um, if, it, if, if, if the pressure washer doesn't work and you just can't stand looking at it, you may want to get an arborist to trim that part off or back or something like that. Okay. But I think your first shot is going to be getting out there with a pressure washer. Use fairly warm water and tr do this on a warm day. Okay. And see if the stuff rinses off, because I'm still convinced it's, quote, honeydew. Okay. All right? I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much. And Did you take pictures? Show. Did you take pictures of the pileated while he was there? No. Yes, yes, we did. I'm sorry. We do have pictures of it. Okay. I would love for you to send those. We'll put them up on the website because, again, this is a rare bird sighting. Okay. I All can right. do that. Good luck to you, David. All right. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 833-727-9588. Suzanne, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Suzanne. How are you doing? I'm fine, and I'm... Thank you for taking my call. Oh, thank you for making it. Where are you? I am in Mount Royal, New Jersey. Okay. What, where is that in New Jersey? Um, I'm right near the uh, Commodore Barry Bridge, like Mickleton and Mantua and okay. Clarksboro. Okay. All right. I know where the Commodore Barry Bridge is, over to Delaware. What can we do for you? Well, I'm calling because every fall I have a humongous stink bug problem. Mm -hmm. And I have tried everything you could humanly think of to try to control the problem. I've tried pesticides. Oh. 
uh, things I've read on the Internet, lavender, Dawn dishwashing liquid, um, dryer sheets, everything you can think of I have tried. And it seems like every year it just gets worse and worse. Okay, so Robbie, so, what do you think of the pesticides? Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Oh, I don't danger, like using danger, them because I have lots of pets. <laughs> yeah, well, a pesticide, like pesticides are never the answer to a pest invasion. Uh, you simply need to know what is going on. Now, here's the story. These are marmorated stink bugs that showed up in the country, I guess it's almost a decade ago now. Right and they entered the country from Korea. In their native Korea, when the weather starts to get chilly, they cluster on the south side of rocks and mountains, looking for little nooks and crannies to get inside and hibernate for the winter. So here in the United States, as the days start to get shorter, they look for south-facing houses, of the, uh, the walls of south-facing houses, especially houses that are light-colored. Yes, that's me. Because that means that that, that that wall is going to be nice and warm, and that warmth is going to give them the energy uh, to look around where they are, find a little break in a window screen, get in through your soffits, a little crack, little nook and cranny. And then they hibernate inside your house, and then they start showing up around this time of year. People That's think right. they've, they've come inside recently, but they've been there all winter taking the, taking the big sleep. So years ago on this show, a guy called in who had developed a unique stink bug trap, and the easiest one in the world to make. And so here's what you do. You get a bunch of pizza boxes, pizza delivery boxes. Right. And you cut little holes in the sides, just big enough for the stink bugs to enter. And as soon as you see your first stink bug, you hang these as high up as you can, certainly from your second floor window or whatever you can do, but make sure they're easily accessible to you. Right. And hang them on the south-facing side of your light-colored house and leave them there for a couple of days, then get a bucket, uh, put a couple inches of soapy water in the bottom, right. and bring the trap down and empty it into the bucket of soapy water. There will literally be hundreds. Wow. Of, because the stink bugs think they have achieved their goal. Right. Right? They got into something. Right. And it's nice, it's nice inside there. Uh, perhaps they would even hibernate inside, but then your neighbors would think even less of you um, than they do already. Look, she's hanging pizza boxes. Aye, there goes my property value. Uh, but just do this during the time of their clustering. Again, you don't have to empty it every day. The ones inside are going to think they got away with it, and they have this grouping habit that the more stink bugs around them, the better they feel. And, of course, the warmer they stay. Mm -hmm. So you can just empty it every couple of days. And uh, are you a lifelong New Jerseyan? 
No, I moved here 20 years ago from Philadelphia. Okay, so you're from Philly. Right. Okay, so you know to taunt them as they go to their soapy death, as you empty the box. Go, oh, you buggies picked the wrong house, didn't you? Oh, look, look, here. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll give you a nice bath. Here, you can clean up. There. You ain't going to come back again, are you? You know, give them a good Philly taunt. You know, it's I will. It, it is not enough to succeed. Others must fail. And, okay. you, and you must rub their nose in. Thank you. Oh, and if you go online, go to YouTube um, and uh, uh, click on uh, or type in stink bug traps, and you'll see videos of people making these in various shapes and sizes. Okay, we'll do. All right, good luck to you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Southeast Pennsylvania Home and Garden Show in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, on Saturday and Sunday, March 7th and 8th. That's Morgantown, PA, just outside of Reading, not the one in West Virginia. And don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to take lots more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem. PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, are you plagued with sandy soil? It is a common problem. Well, we'll tell you how to fix that soil and make the perfect garden beds out of it as we answer a listener's question from Australia. In the meantime, Lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Brandon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Brandon. Where are you, man? I live in Westchester, Pennsylvania, in Westtown Township. All right. What can we do for Brandon in the upscale area of Pennsylvania? <laughs> Well, I'm looking for some help with my lawn. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's wintertime, but thinking ahead to spring and summer. Um, I live on about an acre lot. Um, house is situated maybe about the middle of our um, footprint, and I've got a bit of a stilt grass problem. I'd say maybe 50 to 60% presence throughout the entire lawn, um, and it's driving me bonkers. I've got one swath of stilt grass that's about maybe 15 by 15 um, feet, right almost out front of the house that right now in December is just ugly brown. I can go pull it off like an ugly brown toupee. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think 
what's my best strategy? Do I go and remove it now in the winter because it's super easy to pull up, but then get faced with a big barren brown dirt spot until I can seed it? If I do that, when do I seed it? Or do I just roll the dice for another season and see what happens and do it, say, at the end of the summer next year? Do you pull off toupees uh, of unsuspecting people at cocktail parties? I can't get that image out of my head, Brandon. <laughs> you, you can never be too careful with me. So, Well, as, as you seem to already know, Japanese stiltgrass is very shallow-rooted and very easy to pull up. Now, I've written about this in the past, and I'm trying to recall, I believe it's an annual grass. So were you to spend some time over the winter um, pulling it up, it might not be absurd to think of starting the season with a clean slate, which, as you point out, would become a mud pit. Um, Let's see. So, you know, you do have some grass left out there. Correct. Yes. It's, and it's a, it, it, I've got a nice stretch, maybe, say, 40 yards long that runs street side on the one side of my house. It's, say, probably south, southeastern facing. So it gets mm-hmm. a lot of sun. It's just there's some spots of the stilt grass continuing to creep towards that area, mm-hmm. and that's, like, my last bastion of hope I have. So Okay. Do you know what kind of grass it is? I don't. We've been there about two, two and a half years now. Um, it looks just like general turf grass, so it could be any mix of um, fescue and bluegrass, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty hardy. It's green right now. It's not brown. Um, so tells me that it's a, um, a cool season grass rather than a warm season grass. Exactly correct. And general turf grass was mustered out of the service years ago. Um, so <laughs> if you think there is some bluegrass in there, that bluegrass will spread to fill in adjacent bare spots, whereby fescue mm-hmm. will not. I mean, fescue is a great grass, but you have to overseed it every couple of falls um, to repair bare spots and, and keep it lush. Mm-hmm. So this is a big area right in front of your house. Yep. Have you ever considered hardscaping it, <laughs> making a nice <laughs> little path out there? Uh, it, I would, but it's in like the wrong spot to hardscape, and it would just look really odd to have one big kind of rock gardeny kind of thing in the way the the at least this one spot is located. So, um, so I don't know if it's worth. Hey, it's in the spring. I scalp it, remove it, and then lay sod or seed. But I've heard you can't seed in the spring, and you know at least in my area. So no, no, everywhere. Uh, right. You know you can. You can install a warm season grass in the spring. That's when you have mm-hmm. your best shot. But very mm-hmm. few of those grasses are installed by seed. Uh, for cool season grasses, your ideal window is the middle of August through the end of September. That's mm-hmm. when the soil is beautifully warm, so it sprouts right away. But the nights are getting shorter and cooler which is what, of course, a cool-season grass prefers. So, again, I'll quote my old friend Nick Christians at Iowa State University. You can make a million other mistakes, but if you sow your seed in late August, you're going to have a great-looking lawn. If you think you can match the sod, that would be a wonderful option. Mm-hmm. Is the area full sun? Because this, this Japanese stiltgrass tends to like shade and wetness. 
which is odd because that's what I've heard and read as well. But at least this one spot out front of the house gets most gets gets sun for a very good portion of the day. I'd say probably six to ten hours or so. That sounds good. Um, there's not a lot of shade, at least in this one footprint that I'm most concerned with. Throughout the other other parts of the lawn, they're a mix of shade and, and full sun, and I've still got some presence there as well. So right. okay. I don't know if it's hyper-aggressive or what. It is, uh, yeah, it's aggressive, but it has, um, it has no staying power. As you know, mm. if you just take 10 minutes a day, um, soak the lawn in the morning, you can pull up a huge amount. I want you, after we're done talking, I want you to go to youbetyourgarden.org, click on answers to all your garden questions, and read the article on stiltgrass, because I believe the roots are edible. I believe the roots are related to bamboo shoots. So not only would that be very locally grown food, but you'd get even. You know, you're not in Philadelphia, but you're close enough to understand the importance. It's not enough for others. It's not enough for us to win. Others must lose. And how better to punish an opponent than to eat it after you destroy <laughs> it? Okay? Um, so it, this area is approximately what? 50 by 50? Something like that? I think it's like about, at least this one square is about 15 to 20 by 15 to 20, somewhere around there. Oh, so that's it's not big. It's a, it's not big, but it's the one spot right out front, and it's yeah. going to catch your eye every time you're driving through. Now, at least in the summertime, the last two summers we've been there, it's green. It's green like the rest of the you know, the lawn for the most part. I, looking at it, I can see, okay, this looks like it's a big patch of weeds, not grass, next to the grass. Right. The um, problem, but for all intents and purposes, it's green. So the, yeah, right the now problem, it's ugly brown. The problem with Japanese stilt grass is it grows much, fa much faster than turf grass. Correct. So yep. it's never yep. even. So, okay, I have, um, I have an animal house suggestion here. Okay, uh, I'm an you, animal house guy. You spend the winter getting rid of all the stilt grass there, and then when we reach, like, middle, you're in a kind of a microclimate. So between May 15th and June 1st, mm -hmm. plant either a vegetable garden or a really full garden of annual mm -hmm. flowers. I mean, okay. just a huge block of uh, something like marigolds, firecracker mm -hmm. marigolds, just buy 10 flats and mm -hmm. fill the area and have them be placeholders. And mm -hmm. then in August, get them out of there, prepare the mm -hmm. soil, Mm -hmm. So matching seed. This will also give you time to find, you have some great uh, nurseries out where you are and independent garden centers. Take, mm -hmm. take some samples of your existing grass, and I bet you they can match it for you. Okay. Because you don't want it to look like a crazy quilt. But you could plant something deliberate in there, again, just as a placeholder, um, mm -hmm. that would have a lot of eye appeal, and then remove it in mid-August and sow your lawn, and you're good to go. Cool. Okay. I never thought about that. Well, that's why I get the big money, man. <laughs> I wish. Well, I appreciate it. I like the animal house approach. So All I right. Think, uh, yeah, I'll, it's, it's I'll cowboy gardening that. at its best. Love it. All right. Good luck, sir. 833-727-9588. Rose, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Rose. How you doing? 
I'm doing just fine. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, That's where, wonderful. Where is Rose Fine? I'm sorry. Where are you, Fine? Where are Where are you? Where are you oh, calling gosh. from? I'm in. I'm calling from Philadelphia. I'm calling from right in the middle of the city. Okay, tell me the neighborhood. Well, I'm in the uh, University City, actually. Okay, out in West Philly. Yep. You know, that was a big garden district back in the day. You know, all those large single homes, they, um, and there's still more trees out there, I think, than anywhere else in the city. But that's yeah, beautiful. It's it, the best neighborhood. It's so green. It's so green and it's so shady in the summertime. You don't need air conditioning. It's true. And there's roses everywhere. Oh, named after you, of course. What can we do? <laughs> what can we do for our rose? Well, um, I'm calling because I actually I have more of a uh, potted plant question than a garden question. Right. I recently I recently actually just moved here from Florida, and I uh, gave away a lot of my tropical plants, but I brought a lot with me. And I live in an old building with not much light, mm -hmm. and some of those old radiators that heat up the apartment. She's sort of a furnace level. Uh -huh. So I was wondering are you, if you have any suggestions. Are you on the top floor? I am in the middle floor. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Story. I was on the top floor of an old apartment building in the Logan section of Philadelphia. And, <laughs> and for Henry on the first floor uh, to not freeze to death, my apartment had to be 90 degrees. So all winter long, I enjoyed fresh air because all my windows, all the windows were open. wide open. So I know what it's like. That's exactly what I'm living with. I keep all of my windows wide open. And it's really pleasant for me, but not very pleasant for any of my plants who really, you know, they've been dealing with the low light. The mm -hmm. low light is a bit of a challenge, but really once the heat kicked on this winter, they just started struggling, the poor things. And um, do they been, do they have to hang uh, over top of a radiator to get the window light? Yes, the uh. radiator is directly under the window, and so because the windows are only on you know one side of the apartment, really, it's an eastern exposure. So there's mm -hmm. just nowhere else that the plants can go. And I have them all hanging to try to put some distance, you know, a good like five or six between the radiator and the plants. Sorry, Rose. Sorry. Heat rises, baby. I know. I know it. I know it. However, I, so, well, the long and short of it is I was hoping that you might have some suggestions for types of plants no. that could deal with low light but still tolerate the heat. No, uh, uh, cactus. Cactus. Yeah, <laughs> cactus. cactus. You know, since you're, you're, Sunny windowsill uh, it seems to be more indicative of Phoenix-like environment. Now, um, what size is the apartment? Is it really tiny, or do you have a couple of different rooms? I have a couple of different rooms, but they are all tiny. Okay. What I'm going to suggest is, even though that window seems very attractive, and perhaps it'll be useful in the summertime, unless the trees cut off all the light, like they did in my old apartment, um, when I wasn't into plants yet. This is a long time ago. But I would take your plants into whatever room there is, quote, room for them, 
and I would set them up with a simple shop light rigged on top of them. You can go to okay. any hardware store, any home center. Uh, you want to make sure the shop light has four foot long bulbs. So a two bulb shop light, you can put, you know, maybe six plants underneath that. You get a four right. tube shop light and you can, you can go to town. You can have a great little indoor garden there. And, um, you know, your plants are not going to grow. They're going to pretty much stay the same size. So once you get it rigged up, you can put the sides of the light fixture up on blocks or bricks or books, or they all come with hanging chains. The problem in an apartment is you generally don't have wood or any solid structure up above to hang the chains from. So I right. would strongly suggest supporting uh, the lighting fixtures on the sides. That's what I do when I start my seeds because those plants are constantly growing. I grab a whole bunch of books to get started. And then as mm -hmm. the plants grow, um, I add books. So it works really well. And, you know, then you're not, you're not trying to, you know, the Red Cross is going to come and take these plants away from you if you don't get them out, know, of that, out of that heat sink. <laughs> but artificial light and tropical plants, they get along really well together in, okay. in, the, in the spring or summer. Uh, is this typically a place in West Philly is, uh, is going to have a really nice porch unless you live in a more modern kind of construction? No, yeah, I do have, like, a nice outdoor. It's Yeah, the outdoors is not the issue. It's just no. the winter. Right, yeah. um, but I'm saying, you know, when it gets warm, you know, say June 1st, because these are tropics, um, take them outside. Put them in sun. You know, uh, I know it can be dicey. I know in South Philly, <laughs> you know, uh, people chain their pots to the front of the house and then the thieves steal. Oh, no, and, yeah. and then the thieves steal the chains. But well, I happily everybody's growing plants in this neighborhood. So, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. I think you'll do fine. And in the meantime, just overwinter them under a really bright light. Keep the plants really close to the light. Fluorescent tubes are OK. If you want to go to the new LED uh, lights that are inside what appear to be fluorescent tubes. I mm -hmm. just saw those at a home show I did in uh, Wilkesboro. They were used for the lighting in the arena I was in, and I was really impressed by the lumens they give off. So they're a, okay. li they're a little more expensive, but you'll never have to replace them, and your lights, uh, your lights, your plants will thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good luck, Rose. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at one of my favorite events, the fabled Philadelphia Flower Show on Wednesday, March 4th at 4 p.m. Now, plan to get there early because speakers this year only have 20 minutes. But don't go planning your wrap just yet because we'll be right back with the secret of successful gardening and sandy soil and more of your successful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Brodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your beautiful host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will answer a question from the other side of the world and help a listener in Australia improve his sandy soil and have a successful garden. But before that, couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Joe. How you doing? I'm good. And where is Joe good? Joe is good just south of you in Berks County. Oh, okay. What part of Berks County? Between Reading and Pottstown. Oh, okay. Very good. I know that area well. The Reading Phillies, I hate to say this with the Allentown AAA team nearby, mm -hmm. but the Reading Phillies are my favorite minor league team. That's a nice stadium. It is a beautiful stadium. It reminds me of Wrigley Field and all the old classic ballparks. All right, Joe, what can we do you for? I'm having a problem with my Granny Smith apple tree, Mike. Okay, what's up? It's about 20 years old and a real good provider. Mm-hmm. Started in 2018. If you recall, that was the wettest summer we've ever had. Until 2019. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, two, eight, I thought 18 was worse, but either way. Yeah. Late uh, in, in July, I noticed that the apples had pretty much fallen off, mm. and all of a sudden the leaves started coming down. Mm -hmm. By the middle of August, they were gone. It was bare. Yeah. That's I thought, good. okay, we'll wait for the next spring. Well, spring came early. Toward the end of September, it came back fully relieved, relieved with all the blossoms. Mm. It was beautiful in September. And then, of course, winter came and it went dormant again. So I thought, let's see what happens in the spring. In the spring, it did leaf again. Right. The blossoms still came, but much less than normal. Okay. I'm saying maybe 50%. Okay. And then the whole process repeated itself in 19. The leaves all came off in August, and then it released again in September. Only now it was maybe down to 20%. Okay, so you never got apples. Never saw an apple. Okay. Now the question is, is there any chance that it will re return to its normal cycle? Well, yeah, yeah, if the tree was healthy before that, I mean, we had, oh, yeah. we had twice as much rain as most plants can tolerate. And mm -hmm. apple trees are not the easiest thing to grow under any circumstances in the right. Northeast. Right. Now, do you still prune the tree? I keep it very nicely trimmed, yes. Okay, that's good, that's good. So it has good airflow around yes, it? Yes, I, I did what they tell people to do, cut the middle out. Yes. So that there's lots of air that comes in through the top. Yes, that's very good. It's, it's exceptional if the tree kind of looks like an open umbrella after you're exactly, done. Exactly. Exactly what it looks like. Because um, I think your problems would have been worse otherwise. <laughs> oh, I can't get much worse. I'm not getting any apples. No, don't say that, man. <laughs> that's a Kinahara times three. <laughs> 
All right. So uh, what's it growing out of? Is it is it bare earth? Is it growing out of a lawn? What's going on? It's growing out of the lawn. I have some slope in my lawn, mm-hmm. but it drains nicely normally. Okay. Do you treat your lawn with anything? Uh, that portion of the lawn, no. That's the backyard, and I pretty much leave it uh, on its own. Okay. So there's no herbicides <clears throat> coming down towards no. the tree? No, not at all. Okay. Well, in a situation like this, I mean, there's really not, you know, if you wanted to, and is the tree mulched with anything? No, not really. Just grass around it. Okay. Just grass around it. Uh, do you feed the tree? Do you put... Co- no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm lazy. I've never fed it. Okay. Well, that you know, uh, n- no fertilizer is better than chemical fertilizer. But if you want to increase your chances, how about we hoe away the grass underneath mm-hmm. the tree? Mm-hmm. I can do that. Until you make a circle that's equal to the furthest branch. Ooh, that's a good bit of grass, but I can do it. Okay. And then if you want to go for the bonus round, um, see if you can... Yeah, see, uh, normally I'd say core aeration, but you're going to bust up the roots. So I'm going to back mm-hmm. off of that and say then cover that bare ground with two inches of compost. That'll, that. that'll give the tree some natural nutrients, but this has happened to so many plants. I had my forsythia bloom beautifully in the spring, and then it bloomed again in the fall. I mean, completely <laughs> bloomed. And I thought that that was going to ruin the springtime show, but I got a very nice show in the spring. So I think this is just water stress, and this is why, you know, we have that expression for the farming community, lose the farm. Because if this happens three or four years in a row, um, there's no money coming in, the bank forecloses on the farm. Absolutely. That's what happened in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. Yes, there were some farming practices that made it worse, but, you know, sometimes, you know, God thinks we're all Job and, <laughs> you know, sends us a lot of tests that we would have been a, much happier to have done without. Absolutely. So it doesn't sound like you're doing anything really wrong that can be corrected. I don't know of any specific treatment. Although, now that I think about it, my friend down in Texas, Howard Garrett, the dirt doctor, has what he calls the sick tree treatment. So if you wanted to try something really unique, um, go to his website. It's dirtdoctor.com. And, doctor.com. Is and, that doctor spelled out or DR? Oh, no, spelled out. Howard's an old guy like me. Well, you're not as old as me. Yeah. Um, and then look up sick tree treatment. Gotcha. Okay, so maybe you want to add a little bit of his advice in with mine and just God. hope that we have a normal season for a change. <laughs> that would be nice. All right, good luck, Joe. All right, it's time for the perennially popular question of the week, which we're calling Pounding Sand Down Under. 
This week's question literally comes to us from the other side of the world. Alex in Australia, specifically Adelaide, writes, Hello from Australia. We may be in the opposite season to the U.S., but we still look forward to your weekly show. Your recent podcast about coffee grounds was even more encouragement for me to take home the leftovers from the office coffee machine, much to the surprise of my co-workers. Here in South Australia, we have a Mediterranean climate with extremely dry summers, easily reaching 45 degrees centigrade for days at a time. That's 113 degrees in Fahrenheit. I live only 700 meters, that's less than half a mile, from the coastline. And so I have sandy, water-repellent soil. We've been inspired to improve it as much as possible by composting heavily and maintaining a worm farm collectively known as Barney to provide plenty of organic matter to feed our garden. Once again, thank you for your weekly inspiration, Mike and team. Well, we emailed Alex back to thank him for his missive and to ask if he had been affected by the terrible wildfires racing across his continent. He replied, not right here in Adelaide. We did have fires about 40 kilometers east of us in the Adelaide Hills, but the fires were much worse than that down south on Kangaroo Island. The fires that you would have heard about were on the east coast, mainly through New South Wales and Victoria. I looked up Alex's location, and he's on the southern coast in a very interesting location, surrounded by water on three sides. He continues, pretty scary scenes and sadly becoming more common. Part of life over here as with your blizzards, cyclones, and tornadoes. Now, although Alex didn't exactly ask a question, he gives us an opportunity to discuss sandy soil, which is way preferable to clay soil. As I have said frequently, the only way to improve clay soil is with a backhoe, a strong throwing arm, and raised beds. But sandy soil can become perfect with the addition of an equal amount of compost. Now, that's relatively easy for those of us who live in the States, but a bit of a chore down under, thanks to a crash course on Wikipedia, to whom I donate every year to help continue their fine work, I have some idea of what grows there. And deciduous trees are not that common. And the shredded leaves of deciduous trees, of course, are the single best compost ingredient. Now, they do have a lot of eucalyptus, which is better than gasoline at fueling wildfires, but useless in making compost. But they also have a surprising diversity of grasses, which can supply carbon to a compost pile after they have been cut and dried. Yes, fresh grasses are green and nitrogen rich, but dried grass becomes brown and carbonaceous. They also have a number of different sea grasses, which would make excellent contributions to a pile, but not if their harvesting damages the environment. Unfortunately, their varieties of seaweed are essentially useless, as only seaweed from cold waters has magical powers in the garden. Plus, there are probably 30 venomous creatures just waiting for you to step near the water, plus sharks although the east coast of the continent seems to have a much higher concentration of venomous and hungry thingies than Alex's south coast. And then there are the abundant acacia trees, which the Aussies call wattles. 
possessing some of the hardest wood known to exist. Biblical scholars believe that the Ark of the Covenant the Israelites used to tear down the walls of Jericho was made of acacia wood, with some scholars suggesting that the Ark was loaded with rocks and a primitive form of gunpowder and was fired on the seventh day of that march around the city when the walls came a-tumbling down. More pertinent to our purposes is that acacia is a legume, a plant that sucks plant-feeding nitrogen from the air and stores it in its tissues, making it living fertilizer. Acacia leaves will be tough to shred, but they are rich in plant food. Once shredded, they could be used as a compost ingredient or as a moisture-conserving mulch that would slowly release their nitrogen to nearby plants. And let's not forget Barney, the communal worm bin, a brilliant idea in a region where compost materials are scarce. Now, that leads us to a condensed plan for hot and dry climes. Compost bins and piles on the surface are for normal climates. When temps reach high extremes, you should compost in a pit to conserve moisture and keep the pit covered with acacia leaves and branches to also conserve moisture. Practice water harvesting. Tamp down unused areas and then create little channels so that any rain that does fall gets funneled to a tree or growing area. If occasional rains are torrential, install rain barrels to catch roof runoff. And utilize gray water. Where fresh water is scarce, divert used water from your home to drip lines that feed your garden. Water from clothes washing, showering, bathing, kitchen sinks, pretty much anything other than dishwashers and toilets. Special note, rainwater can be stored for later use. Gray water cannot. Because it contains traces of soap, dirt, and such, it must immediately be run out to the plants you wish to water. Otherwise, it becomes nasty black water. Well, that sure was an interesting look at gardening in hot, dry soil surrounded by venomous creatures now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read the info over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week. Where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to introduce me to a blue-ringed octopus if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email and your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please always include your location. We need it. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast and my local events coming up. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and prod podcast, 
That's, that's different than a podcast, kids. That's a, that's a podcast with cattle involved. All produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when an experiment with gamma radiation went south. So do not make him angry. You would not like him when he's angry. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minute. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is running the camera this week. Yay, Eric! Zach the Takwisneski is missing in action. We have no idea where the man is. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, says he is not late for meetings. He just refuses to recognize daylight savings time. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Happy that spring training is underway because that means gardening time is coming soon. So I'll oil up my gloves, start sorting my seeds, and see you here again next week. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal Partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Did you mulch your spring bulbs and herbaceous perennials like peonies over the winter? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal exactly when to remove that mulch to help your plants emerge. Plus your emergent phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.